When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Through 25 seasons, hey! 4,561 episodes, I believe The Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. It is the story that has been on all of our minds. Last week, 13-year-old Ben Ownby was reportedly abducted just outside St. Louis, minutes, just minutes, after getting off of the school bus. Four days later, detectives tracked Ben down to the apartment of a local pizza parlor manager. He was 41-year-old Michael Devlin. In a shocking twist, not only did police find Ben, they also discovered 15-year-old Sean Hornbeck, another Missouri boy who had vanished four years ago. I sat down with Sean Hornbeck and his family in their very first interview since this incredible miracle story broke. We began with Sean's parents and his aunt. Can you take us back to the day, if you will, October 6, 2002? How did you first know that he was missing, that he was gone? When uh, he was supposed to be home at 5 o'clock, and of course, Sean always ran just a little, weight, so we, a little late, so we always gave him a little leeway as he far as He was 11 we, years old at the time. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, the closer it got to 5.30, quarter to 6, I just had this gut feeling in my, in my stomach. I turned around to my husband, and I told him, I said, Sean's not home. I said, and something's wrong. And so when she said, something's wrong, Craig, did you all immediately jump into yeah, action? That, that or? Was, well, that was when we jumped in the car and went to, you know, different places where he might have been, went to where he, we thought that he was supposed to have been earlier in the day. Um, they said that they hadn't seen him. So then we come back home and get out the phone list and start making phone calls. Was he supposed calling. to be going to a game? He was so. supposed to be going to a friend's house. Okay, that's when you the know, nightmare that's, started. That's, that's when it really started yeah. to sink in. Mm -hmm. From speaking with Sean, what do you now believe happened on that day, October 6, 2002? We still have not had the opportunity to speak to Sean about that day mm -hmm. or the four and a half years since then. Mm -hmm. um, the time is going to come. We have told him that when he's ready, he will speak to us. He will come to us. Of course, we are going to be all getting into therapy because mm -hmm. I believe that needs to start right away. But as What if far he never details, wants to come to talk about it? What if he feels that... I never want to talk about it. That was the past, and 
and then that's something I'm going to have to deal with. Yeah. Um, because don't I'm, you want to know? Yes, I do. I, I definitely do want to know. I want to know as much details as possible, as much as I can bear to know. Mm -hmm. But as far as that day, I believe he will talk to us eventually about it. Pam, that's a very interesting uh, word you use, as much as I can bear. Do you sense, perhaps, that he feels that whatever has happened is not something he wants to share because he doesn't think you can bear it? Yes. You do feel that? I, yes, I do. You do? Mm -hmm. And you're shaking your head, nodding, Sherry, because, he as is. his aunt? He has said he doesn't want to see the sadness in his mother's eyes anymore. Mm. And his father, he wants to give them some peace. Mm. And he, he just wants to see them smile more. Mm -hmm. So what do you think, have you thought of, obviously, you've thought about this, what kept him from escaping? You know, there are all these theories now, and you hear commentators on television talking about um, why he didn't, theories about why he didn't. What do you ask, and what is the answer for yourself of why he didn't escape? Eventually, I will ask Sean that, mm -hmm. but I honestly and truly in my heart feel that in some way or another, he had to have felt either he was going to be threatened or his sisters or myself or his dad. Mm -hmm. I honestly believe if, if the alleged person would have said, you can leave at any given time, there would be no recourses, everything would be just fine. Sean would have came home in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. I honestly feel that he felt like he couldn't because of somebody's safety, whose I don't know yet. Mm -hmm. Is that what you believe, Craig? Oh, yeah. I mean, there has to be something being held over over his head, mm -hmm. something somehow to to keep him from, you know, from trying to leave, from trying to get away. Um, there's no way in the world that if he was able to do whatever he wanted to do and could have walked away at any moment, there's no doubt in my mind that he would have. Mm -hmm. you know, there's definitely something that, that stopped that from happening. Tell us how you got the call that the police had found your son. How did that happen? We were on our way home from work, and uh, we was driving down the highway. Both of our cell phones go to ringing, and it happened to be the prosecuting attorney's office. And we had missed the phone and actually or missed the call, and it went to voicemail. And when I <clears throat> listened to my voicemail and knew it was prosecuting attorney John Roop, when he says, Pam, please call me back immediately, of course, first thing, you know, popped in my mind is, okay, oh, my God, what news does he have? Because I knew he had to have had some news to be calling me. Mm -hmm. Did you and think then, maybe he was calling to tell you that they found the body of your son? That was in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely had thought of that, you know. And then I had told myself, you know, you can't think of that yet. We don't know. And he tells you what? When I heard Craig say, just a few minutes, I'll have to find somewhere to pull over. Well, when he said that, it was like the world just stopped. It was like, okay, why is he having us pull over? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. what news that he has us that we have to pull over for? Mm -hmm. And it took us a few minutes to pull over, so it seemed like it was forever. And did you at that time think it was the worst news? I did. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we got pulled over, and Craig was talking to him. And then I heard Craig say, he's alive. Oh, my goodness. And when I heard that, mm. that was the oh, last thing I had heard. I'm sorry. It was just yeah. the most wonderful news we got. Yeah. I can just imagine. I can just imagine. So tell me what it was like when you first saw your son's face. Who then saw him first? Did you see him together? 
we went in the room together. Uh -huh. I think I did go in the room. I did go in the room first, mm -hmm. and Sean immediately stood up, and I had no doubt in my mind. I mean, because Craig did make the comment to me, you know, it has been four and a half years. He says, Pam, you know, how are we going to know? And then he looked right at me, and he says, you're going to know. And I said, I said, yeah, I'll know. I'll know immediately. I walk in that door. So as soon as we got in that door, and he stood up, I said, oh, my God, that's my son, and I love you. And we knew right then. You knew it. I knew it. Even four and a half years later, and as much as he has changed, mm -hmm. I knew it. So when you saw him, the first thing you said to him was, I love you? I love you and your home. And your home. What did he say? He says, glad to be home. He said, glad to be home. Mm -hmm. How has he changed? Aside from 11 <laughs> to 15, obviously. Mm -hmm. How has he changed the boy that you knew at 11? It's definitely not the little boy that I had at 11. Mm -hmm. uh, there's going to be a lot of adjustments, and we just won't let him out of her or out of her sight. He's not quite understanding that yet. I can tell that there is a lot on his mind. Mm -hmm. I can tell that I think he will eventually talk to us mm -hmm. and that he wants to, but there's still this distance mm -hmm. between us, not like it was. His innocence is gone. I mean, he lost his innocence from the time he was 11 till he was 15. Mm -hmm. You know, the most formative years that you could have with your child, and mm -hmm. they've lost that. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go there and ask you, what do you think happened to him? Do you think he was sexually abused? Yes. Do you think he was... Do you think he was tortured? That I don't know yet. Well, but you know, there's more than one kind of torture. There's... Mm -hmm mental torture, and there's mm -hmm. physical torture. I have no doubt that, you know, mentally that he's not the same boy that he was. Mm -hmm. um, you know, physically, we don't see any signs of, you know, anything, but, you know, that's four and a half years. Mm -hmm. it, it's really hard to say. Have you been talking to therapists or ministers or anybody trying to help you all figure out how, how to continue on your way? Uh, we are, we're actually in the process of going through the therapy and things like that. We've not actually talked to anyone yet other mm -hmm. than a few people from Child Advocate Center mm -hmm. did talk to us and gave us some advice. Yeah. And, and was the advice not to ask him? Yes. About the, the four years? Yes. We were at, asked or advised not to ask him any questions. Let him talk to us. Why do they say they don't want you to do that? When, when all this stuff comes out, we need professionals there that know how to deal with that specific mm -hmm. circumstance when we mm -hmm. find out whatever that circumstance is. You know, there's the last thing we want to do is put him through any more mental anguish. Yeah. I think it's interesting because the public wants to know. Mm -hmm. The public wants to know. But just sitting here with you as parents and family members, I can imagine that the most important thing to you is his well-being. Correct. But you also want to know. Well, certainly we want to know, and, you know, the world wants to know. Um, but that's not the important thing. That's, mm -hmm. that's insignificant. The important thing is Sean is back home. The important thing is we can give a message of hope to other families that have missing children. And we can also, once again, reiterate the messages about keeping your children safe and not letting them travel by themselves. Do you believe now, having gone through this, that a child in this country is not safe riding their bicycle 
Mm -hmm. There's no way. No, no child is safe anywhere. On the street where they live. Mm -hmm. well, I mean, and if it's... you look at Ben Owenby, I mean, he was almost to his house. He yes. got off the bus, he was almost 500 home. feet away, I hear. Right yeah. there. I mean, it does happen that close, that quick. If they were just very fortunate, we were all very fortunate that someone saw something and stepped up to the plate and reported it. Mm -hmm. If that hadn't happened, mm -hmm. it could be a completely different story right now. In his first interview since the rescue, I sat down with Sean Hornbeck the other day, along with his family. Hi, Sean. Hi. Hi. Hi again, Oprah. Nice to meet you. Nice to you. Tell me, how are you feeling today? Um, I'm feeling really good. Feeling really good? Has all of this been, like, what to you? Um, it's been great mm -hmm. for all of us, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. It's great to be back home. Seeing familiar faces, new ones. Mm -hmm. it's, it's been great for all of us. Can you tell us about the, I just asked your father about what January 12th was like for him. What was it like for you when those police officers walked into the room? When they brought Pam, Mom, and me oh. in to see you for the first time. It was surprising. It was surprising? Yes, I mean, They've changed, but I could recognize them in 20 more years instantly. Really? I wanted to ask you, be, for the sake of all the parents out there who've told their children not to go with strangers, not to let strangers in the house. So you were 11 years old when you disappeared. Had your parents ever told you those things? Um, the whole entire don't get in cars with strangers mm -hmm. and stuff like that, yes. You've been told that? Yes. Did you ever, as a kid, think that something like this could happen to you? Even when your parents are telling you that, you're thinking what? Mm, it's always a possibility in this day of age. Yeah. So how often did you think about your family? Uh, every day. Every day. I prayed to God that one day I would be back with my family every night, and I crossed myself every night. You crossed yourself every night? Very Christian family. Very Christian family. Did you ever try to write or call them? Um, no. No. Did you have access to internet or phone? Uh, yes. Did you have access to TV? Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you have access to TV as such that you could see the stories about you being missing? I could never watch it. I just started crying instantly. I never could watch news or anything. I still can't to this day. Mm-hmm. Because seeing stories about yourself would upset you so? Just seeing stories about other missing kids would upset me because I've been there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just too sad. Yeah. Did you have, like, because neighbors are saying that they saw you riding around on your bicycle in, in the parking lot or wherever, did you have some freedoms that you could be allowed to ride on the bicycle or would you be watched the whole time? Or? Um, I did have some freedoms, mm -hmm. yes. Did you have friends? Um, yes. Yeah. And what would you tell your friends? Where did your friends just think you just appeared from? Um, uh, we just made a story and mm -hmm. just kept the story the same. Mm -hmm. Did any neighbors ever ask you why you weren't in school? It was always homeschooled. You were homeschooled? No, that was the story. That was the story? About school. Mm -hmm. Are you looking forward to going back to school? Actually, yes. Yeah. You thought you'd never find yourself saying that? <laughs> I don't think anyone ever would have. Yeah. No. Did you think about being rescued? 
Did you think about being discovered that the neighbors or somebody might recognize that you I were I was the... hoping. You were hoping. And so during this whole time, what would you do all day? Could you tell us that? Do you feel comfortable? I would mostly sleep. It's the only way I could ever pass the time. Sleeping? This is basically what I did, sleep or watch TV or play video games. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me how you got through these past four years? Hope and praying. Hope and praying. You said you would pray and cross yourself every night. Yes. And what would the prayer be? That one day my parents would find me and I'd be reunited with them. Mm -hmm. Is it true that you went to their internet site? Yes. And asked a question? Yes. What was the question? I don't want to say it. Okay. I had read in the paper that you had gone to the internet site and asked, how long will you be searching for your son? Yeah. And then you wrote another question saying, I would like to write a poem about your son. That's true? Yeah. What did you feel doing that? Did you, was that a way to connect with them? I was hoping it might give some kind of hint. Do you all remember that at all, Craig? You do? What do you, can you tell us about it, if anything? You remember getting that message? I remember reading it. I remember thinking to myself, either this is someone with that name or this is someone trying to yank my chain. And, and the name was Sean Devlin, correct? correct? On your website. Correct. And the question was? Well, how, how long are you going to look for your son? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we knew that the world knew, knew the answer to that because we had been saying all along that we will never stop looking for our son. Um, so I, I kind, of, kind of found it strange. And, you know, you get so many of these messages. Mm -hmm. I mean, on a daily basis, you get so many weird but, out there messages. Yeah, but that, were you struck by this one in any way? No, unfortunately I wasn't. You were not. I wish I had been. Yeah. Were you hoping that they might have some suspicion or question? Were you hoping that you were giving the, was it a, was it a cry for help or a cry to be noticed? Or in a way, yeah. Yeah, in a way, yes. And so what do you want most now for yourself and your family? To go back how he was. Just go back to school, work, spend time to, with each other, work on stuff, fix cars, his transmissions needed. <laughs> uh -huh. Is it easy for you, difficult for you, strange, weird, being home again? It's very comforting knowing that I'm back with my family, but then I've missed out on a lot of stuff. I missed out on Carson growing up, his first word, and walking and stuff like that. And Carson is? My oldest nephew. Mm -hmm. So tell me, your parents both said, your parents and your aunt, they all said they never gave up on you. Did you think they had given up? Mm, no. You didn't think that they had given up? Did you ever give up? There was a time when I was thinking about giving up, but then I just thought of what they was doing and searching for me and looking for me. And then I knew they wasn't giving up, so I figured I shouldn't. Really? Because they kept their hope alive, you felt hopeful too? Because you knew they hadn't. Yeah. I felt their hope and love. Your parents were saying that they never, certainly, you know, since your disappearance, they've been working with other families who lost their children, their children disappeared. And certainly they never would have hoped 
that somebody else would have a missing child. But Ben Ownby going missing really made a difference in you being here today. Do you think that? Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. I would think if it wasn't for Ben, I might not be here right now. I might not be on the show. I might not be with my mom and dad right now. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what you thought when you first saw Ben? Mm -hmm. Don't answer it. Don't want to answer that? Okay. Can you tell us what you now feel about Ben? I'm thankful mm -hmm. that he held in there for those couple of days. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry for what he went through, because I told myself a long time ago I never want any other kid to go through what I went through, because I n knows what it's like. And, but I am thankful for him for holding in there. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy that he's back with his family. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you'll be able to get back to a normal life? Um, at some point, yes. Mm -hmm. We're hoping soon, though. Hoping sooner. Because, as you know, the whole country wants to know what happened, how this happened, and so forth. And your parents say that at some point, they're going to wait on you to tell them. Do you think you'll ever be ready to talk about it? At some point, I'm sure I will be. Mm -hmm. Well, right now, we're just glad you're alive and well. And still cute. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, audience, there are still so many questions that I know you want the answers to, I wanted the answers to, even his parents want the answers to. But in doing this interview, I agreed to respect certain boundaries and not ask questions about what went on during the four-year period and let them handle that between themselves and uh, a therapist. One of the questions the whole country wants the answer to that I did not ask on camera of Sean because I wanted to respect those boundaries. But I did ask Sean privately, why did you not call or contact your parents? And he said to me, he did not because he was terrified to do so. Sean Hornbeck is here today with his family. Sean, stand up so everyone can welcome you home. Fifteen-year-old Mitchell Holtz was one of the last people to see Ben Ownby last week before he disappeared near his home in Missouri. Last Monday, me and Ben was on the bus, and Ben got off the bus first. Bus pulled up about 50 feet, let me out, and I seen a white Nissan pickup sideways in the road. It took off, and that's the last time I seen it. I never seen that vehicle, never, because every vehicle that comes down here, I noticed, and that truck I didn't. It didn't dawn on me that Ben would get in that truck I knew something was wrong when Ben's dad called me and said that Ben was missing. I told him that I seen a white Nissan pickup. Then the sheriff came and he took my statement. And then they were looking for that white Nissan. I wish to see Ben really soon. I want to say I, I love him and I'm going to keep a good eye on him. <laughs> it was that tip from 15-year-old Mitchell Holtz that helped police find Sean and Ben. Officers Gary Wagster and Chris Nelson spotted that pickup truck on just a routine police call. And the rest, as we know, is history. They have never met Sean, nor Ben's families, and are honored to be here today. Come on out, guys. We're happy to have you here. Hello. Hello. Welcome. 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 Hello, and welcome. Welcome, 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 welcome. 
We wanted to give you a hero's welcome. Oh. Yeah, you did it. <laughs> well, why were you at that apartment complex in the first place? Uh, we were there to arrest somebody else, actually, and he wasn't home. <laughs> and he went home. <laughs> no, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what what happened? Can you tell us the the train of thinking or what we, happened? We knocked on the on the guy's door that we were there to arrest. Yeah. Um, and we were leaving. We were coming down some stairs. Gary looked at me and said, hey, you, you see that? And he pointed to uh, the well, white pickup truck that we literally almost parked next to. Really? Yes. And then... Uh, uh, and what would you say, Gary? I basically told Chris, I said, you see what I see? I said, that looks a lot like the truck on TV. And I can't really say what Chris said, because it's national <laughs> TV. But, but uh, <laughs> it's... Uh, it was, it, was, uh, it was ironic, you know? So we just started putting the pieces together on, on the statements. You know, that uh, Mr. Holtz give. I mean, that, that was that, that astounding. Was that, that pickup truck, the description. That kid did it for, for The everybody. kid did it. Mitchell oh, did yes, it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Hooray for Mitchell. Yeah, hooray. hooray for Mitchell. So, again, I can't understand. Did you all speak to the Devlin guy? Did you all have a conversation? Oh, we, were, we ran a, did a bunch of checks on the truck. And yeah. we figured, hey, this is close enough. We need to find the owner of this truck. Uh-huh. So we start digging around. Chris went one way, I went the other way, and, and uh, talked to a bunch of people. Come back, and this guy walks by us. And I'm like, well. Devlin walks by you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's throwing his trash out. He's throwing his trash out. Yeah. That's it. Calm as can be. Calm, yeah. Just, yeah. And so you, I, had so a I, you struck up a conversation? Exactly. I go up, and I start talking to the dude. And he, uh, he basically uh, calm, cool, and collected. And I, I, I recognize him from working at Emo's, you know, because we freaking pizza place. Oh, yeah. 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 We well, go we, there a lot. And, Real laid-back guy, and you know he was real laid-back at that time too. Yeah. But uh, you know I kept kept digging. I asked him. I said, "Is your truck?" He said, "Yeah, it's my truck." Mm -hmm. So I said, "Well, you know, this is where I'm going with this." And then that's where he got uh, got all squirrely on me. And yeah. I'm like, "Well, something you say no, right, you know." He, he, he turned into when a different. When you say this is where I'm going with this, because it, you have to explain that, because those of us who aren't in your hometown, had that been a big story about in, in your, in your mean, local news about the truck? We had a ton of calls on the okay. on, tr on different trucks, and we've been checking a ton of white trucks mm -hmm. throughout the you know throughout the week. Everybody had. Okay. And uh, you know, just you know, I was going to uh, you know, he knew why I was there. He knew what I was implying. Wanting. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and he got uh, he got all squirrely on us and. He just changed. Yeah. So squirrely means what? Belligerent, angry? Like he's real defensive. Defensive. And, you know, for okay. a guy that's laid back, and he got a real defensive, started, you know, make, you know, clenching his fist and, really? you know, yeah. darting his eyes, evasive. You know, when I was asking him questions, it's like, you know, this, I've never seen this guy before. Right. You know, this yeah. is the guy that works at Emo's. Yeah. So, uh, we... You became you know, more, even more suspicious. Exactly. Right. So it's that little hunch thing, that little... The gut thing. The gut thing. Yeah, the, the hair exactly. on the back of your neck. That, the hair that, back, on the back Everybody's of your neck. got it. I mean, yeah. just not, not police officers, it's just the human part. Yeah. Exactly. Is it true, I read reports, you don't know if what you read in the paper is true, that you had seen one of the boys in the window playing a video game or something? Well, after, after we ran out of stuff to talk to Mr. Devlin about, and he just walked away, basically, um, We'd already contacted the FBI, and they were on their way out. Uh -huh. And we looked through the through the front window, and there's like a little something cut out of the blinds, and we could actually see somebody playing on a video game. I mean, at the on the uh, yeah. kitchen it table. Turned out later to be Sean. Yeah. Turned out later to be Sean. Have you met Sean? No, we have. No. There's Sean. <laughs> Say hello to Sean. Uh, Craig, I know that you and Pam have dedicated your life since um, Sean was stolen from you. Um, to helping other people who've lost their children. And so I was very careful in my interview with him yesterday 
uh, at your recommendation and the recommendation of other authorities because I didn't want to say anything that would affect the upcoming trial. But Sherry, I heard that you'd have a few things you wanted to say. Um, in 2003, he, uh, he had friends that actually asked him if he was Sharn Harnbeck. And if they had that suspicion, why didn't they just go to the police? Mm -hmm. If you have the suspicion of a missing child, and as in our community, as we, Craig and Pam had had his face out in the media so many times, and you had a suspicion that he was Sean Hornback, get involved. Don't, don't ignore it. It's that gut feeling again. If you had the gut feeling to ask, you knew. If it would have came up with something, mm -hmm. that would have been the miracle we were looking for three years ago. If mm -hmm. it wasn't, then you did the right thing. And you all believe, as, as Sean has said to me, that he was terrified to, to answer that question, that he was terrified to answer if he was Sean Hornback and terrified to even contact you all. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is a miracle, yes, it is. a miracle in Missouri. And we have part two of it. We'll be meeting Ben Onby's uh, family. At the request of the FBI, we've been asked not to have the families together because they are a part of separate ongoing investigations. So I'm going to say thank you to, uh, to Sean and Craig and Pam and Sherry and the rest of the family, the sisters, hello, uh, for being here. We're just ecstatic. Uh don't want to let him go or out of our sight. He, <laughs> he doesn't want us to hold on to him, but <laughs> we have. Well, that was Ben Onby's parents just minutes after reuniting with their son last week. Don and Doris are also here with us today. And I understand you have not met the police officers. No. Yes. Okay. Well, come on up here, guys, and say hello to the Onbys. Yeah. Thank you, I know that's got to feel good. Yes, I'm so grateful. Grateful. Yes. That they just had that hunch. Yeah. That they had that hunch. Yes. Yeah. Well, Ben is uh, in the building, but his parents made a mom and dad decision and said that they feel that he's had enough stress from television. <laughs> but I, I, I did just see him. He's in the green room on his computer playing a computer game he invented, okay? <laughs> so. Can you tell us, you know, Ben is a straight-A student mm -hmm. and a uh, Boy Scout, mm -hmm. and it always let you know at all times where he was. And, and so how soon after he disappeared did you know he was missing? Probably within a half an hour, mm -hmm. we knew. Yeah. Did you call that Mitchell? Yes. Because Mitchell lives near you all? Right. Mitchell the is neighbor. the boy who notified police that it was the a white Nissan truck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd asked him about uh, Ben, if he'd seen him, yeah, he got off the bus. And then he relayed the story about this white pickup being sideways in the road and driving erratically. Uh -huh. and, then, and then from there, I, I called the sheriff's department. Yeah. Did you know, because he wasn't home immediately, that something had gone wrong? As soon as we checked yeah. all these places, yes, I knew yeah. he, there was yeah. something wrong. Mm -hmm. And what, what did the officers tell you after he had been found? I mean, that's four agonizing days. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows what that feels like unless they've actually been through it, even yeah. though we've seen it on TV many times. Nobody really knows what that feels like. No. It's no. just a, a ache in your heart that, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. you just can't describe. Yeah. And so when you found him, mm. 
And there he was, all his body parts are there, <laughs> all fingers yes. and toes, yes. everything. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I just grabbed him and held on to him. Uh-huh. I just, I just didn't want to quit hugging him. I think it's an interesting thing, because you said the same thing that Pam said about Sean. We don't want to let him out of our mm. sight. And now these are both teenage boys. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I've already uh, told him I'd like to go to school with him, and he didn't quite, <laughs> he didn't quite like that one at all. Is he back in school yet? No, not yet. No. Will he be back in school soon? Will you let him uh, go to school soon? As soon as we talk to counselors and okay. in the school. Will you allow him to continue to ride the school bus? Uh, we haven't. We haven't thought past that yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Have you asked him what happened? No. No. Do you intend to ask him what happened? Um, not directly, but as he opens up, you know, mm -hmm. we might we might ask a question or so. But yeah. uh, for the most part, we're just going to let him take tell his time. You or, tell you or not tell you. Right. Okay. I sat down with him the other day and told him that he could talk to us about it anytime he wanted to, mm -hmm. at, at his own at his own time. Uh huh. And he said. He really didn't say anything. He just shook his head. OK. The question that everybody in the country was asking about Sean Hornbeck is the same question about Ben. Did you ask him, why didn't you call us? No, we, did, haven't, we haven't explored any of that yet. Uh -huh. we, just, we just want him to feel comfortable first. Uh -huh. OK. Dr. Clint Van Zant is a former FBI profiler, MSNBC analyst, and author of the book Facing Down Evo. And uh, we just heard recently that he also was snatched for a brief time as a child. Correct. And you did not tell your mother until two years ago. Yeah, you're right. I waited because I think, like many other kids, I had violated a cardinal rule. Uh, I was seven years old. I was walking down the street to get a newspaper like I did every day, half a block away in the inner city. And I mean, I was 50 seven years ago when I remember seeing this guy come out of my peripheral vision. He came up and he said, hey, little boy, would you like to see some newborn puppies? Sure, yeah. I'd love to see that. Cardinal, cardinal way to take a child. Yeah. I went with him. He took me th through a couple of houses, back into a garage, slammed the door. I looked around, no way out. He demands that I perform a sexual act on him. I didn't know what he was talking about, Oprah. Because you're and, seven, yeah. Yeah, and he, and he lunged at me. Mm -hmm. And as he came at me, whether he was drunk dumb or stupid, or a combination thereof, he missed. And I went around him, I hit the door, the door opened, thank God. I'm through the door, I ran and got the newspaper, I ran home, and I never told my parents. And the reason I didn't was because I violated a rule and I thought I, I, would, I would get in trouble. And there I was at seven, I left that guy on the street to do that to another child. Yeah. And I never told anyone because I felt I was wrong, that I was the one who had done something wrong instead right. of him. Well, do you understand, you know, everybody in the country, analysts are discussing sure. whether this is one syndrome or another syndrome. Yeah. Do you understand why, then, you wouldn't call home? Sure. Why? Why is the key word, because if we ask somebody why, that automatically makes them defensive. You know, you're going to yeah. hear analysts on television, myself included, yeah. that are going to get caught up in cycle babble. They're going to say Stockholm Home syndrome, syndrome. Yeah. identification with the aggressor, post-traumatic yeah. stress reaction. Yeah. No, the bottom line is, if you're 11 or 13 and you've got a potentially six foot four, 300 pound aggressor, should this man turn out to be responsible yeah. for yeah. this, I mean, all of a sudden, he physically dominates you, and then he sets himself up to substitute himself for the two of you. I mean, I, you know, I've got three children. We love them. We nourish them. We care for them.
And all of a sudden, this mountain comes between us and our child and says, I will do these terrible things to you, to your family. We get all of these threats. I mean, these are things, if you want to talk about trauma, that's trauma. Yeah. And, you know, what you do, you do what you have to do to survive sometimes. And, you know, I guess I would say to the world, having been there yeah. as both a victim and an FBI agent investigating these, is, you know, give, we, we need to give these two kids some slack and let them have time to find themselves, let them create new memories. That's what you guys are doing. You're helping your son create new memories. I was gone four minutes. Your son was gone four days. Sean was gone four years. They each need to create new memories, but I've never seen stronger people than you've had today, Oprah, on your show. And so, this is what's interesting, though. I was asking this of Sean's parents. Suppose he never wants to tell. You were only gone four minutes, abducted yeah. for four minutes. You waited 50 years to tell about it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think part of it was there's an element of shame, there's an element of responsibility. I think that's the thing we need to teach our children. They can tell us anything. So if you have an open relationship with your child and you say, you know, I know some horrible things must have happened to you, sure. but you, we are your family and you can tell us anything yeah. and we will be there for you because mm -hmm. we are your family. And no matter what happened, no matter what happened when you were abducted, it is not your fault. You did, that, that's the key. It you is did not nothing your fault. wrong. You, you did, did nothing wrong. Yeah. So I'm saying what's wrong with saying that? Oh, and you can, okay. but, but and, and I think you guys have. You said whenever you're ready to talk, you can talk to me, but that's the thing. What we don't want to do is say, why? Why didn't you call? Why didn't you pick up the phone? I mean, why didn't you dial 911? Because he was traumatized, because he was frightened, because he was in a survival mode. You know, there are, there are emotional handcuffs. There are psychological prisons yeah, yeah. that we can be in without yeah. bars. There are mental bars that, that are stronger even than physical ones. And that's what these two boys experienced. 41-year-old Michael Devlin, the alleged kidnapper of the two missing Missouri boys, remains in jail. Initially, Devlin had been charged with one count of kidnapping 13-year-old Ben Ownby. Yesterday, he was additionally charged with kidnapping and armed criminal action in the 2002 disappearance of Sean Hornback. So we asked his attorney for a statement, and they just sent us a press release part of which says that the facts of this case will be revealed at the appropriate time and place. Until then, they ask that Mr. Devlin's constitutional rights be respected, and they urge fair-minded individuals, they say, to renounce premature conclusions of guilt and refrain from any misrepresentation of the facts. So Michael, they say, Michael Devlin understands the gravity of these accusations against him, Together, they say, we desire to allow the judicial process to run its course. That is their statement. What needs to happen is the laws have to change. And this is the, one of the most perfect examples. As you were saying... Should this man be guilty of what he's charged, this is a perfect example of a need for a one-strike law. Anyone who offends against a child, a woman, a man, kidnapping, sexual assault, they go away and they never see the light of day again. One strike, you're gone. Yes, and not just one, and, and, and that should be uniform in every state, Absolutely. in every state. That's what I'm going to work toward. I want to just say that so many times we hear stories about the police officers, what police didn't do, what they should have done. And here's a great case of heroism coming from the gut. Well, I'd like uh, officers Chris Nelson and Gary Waxter from the Kirkwood Police Department there in uh, Missouri to stand up one more time so we can just say thank you.
Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to the Ombi family, Sean Hondak, and to his family. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show, the podcast. And I thank you for listening.